This morning, I'm going to begin a series of lessons on evangelism. And it's a very important subject matter in Scripture and ones that all of us are called to participate in. And you may not feel like you're qualified to speak on the Lord's behalf or to represent Him to those that are hurting or lost or perishing. But I pray that during this month of teaching, as we talk about evangelism and what it looks like and what Scripture has to say along these lines, that you would find yourself in those that believe that God can use you for His purposes and for His glory and for His honor. So we're going to continue our study on peacemakers. That's our overarching theme for 2022. The Lord has called us to be peacemakers. And we are at that place where we're going to begin to investigate what Scripture has to say more specifically about evangelism. I think we all know and all have an understanding that God has called us to go and has commissioned us to represent Him. But sometimes we're not quite sure if we're qualified to do that. And and even beyond that, we're not even quite sure that, you know, we're comfortable doing that. And I think all of us have these different places where, you know, we uh, sort of assess our abilities and, and our gifts and callings. And sometimes we need to, you know, sit down and do a little inventory along those lines. But you can never factor out the God factor. The God factor makes up for all of our weaknesses, all of our insufficiency, all of our concerns, all of our anxieties. I mean, you heard this morning Kim share that she felt like she was not even remotely qualified to do what she's doing. But, you know, when you partner with God, the greater than factor kicks in. And then you just look back and you're just humbled and amazed and thankful. But it's not going to happen until we make that commitment. It doesn't happen until you make that commitment and start taking those steps of faith. And then the Lord begins to show up and do what only He can do. If we're waiting for God to move first before we move, He's waiting for us to move first. Because then He confirms His Word with signs following. So I want to encourage you that you're not only qualified, you're uniquely placed where you work, the family that you have, the neighborhood that you live in. This is all part of God's divine providence. You, you might think you chose your neighborhood, but there's a reason you live there. And maybe you like the location. Maybe you like the home. Maybe you like the scenery. And maybe all of those things are true, but there's a reason you like all of that. God put that in you. You like a certain setting And you like a certain location, but it's not just for the setting and the location purposes. There's people that live around you. They're called neighbors. How many of you have neighbors? Some are closer than others. I remember when we lived in an apartment as kids and and uh, with my mom, single parent mom, and we lived in, we didn't know, we, we didn't have, you know, means, and we didn't know that we lived below the poverty line until we got older, but we lived in government housing, low income housing. And you talk about tight quarters and your neighbors, your neighbors could tell you what kind of cologne you put on the walls were so thin. I mean, and uh, that was just a reality. If they flushed the toilet, everyone in the building knew they flushed the toilet because the water pressure went down. If you're in the shower, heaven to Betsy, I mean, you get a cold wake up immediately. All the plumbing was tied together. We heard conversations that we should have never heard because the walls were so thin. And uh, 
But I'll tell you, God had me there for a reason. And in that season, and there was a purpose for all of these things. And and sometimes, you know, we're so quick, we're so quick sometimes to just get mad or get frustrated or even accuse or blame the devil or even, heaven help us, we never do this, point our finger and get angry and frustrated at the Lord. But listen, the devil's not greater than God. You know, our focus is a Christ-centered ministry. If the enemy shows up, we address and we deal with him and we resist him. But our focus is on pleasing the Lord, serving the Lord, and honoring the Lord. Because if we get our eyes off of the Lord, then we start wandering because we, like sheep, have a tendency to do that. But you keep your eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of your faith, and you can rest assured the good work that he began in you, he will be faithful to complete it. So when scripture talks about the purpose for which Christ came, he came to seek and save that which was lost. This is at the top of his list. When Jesus was asked why he was here, he said, I have come for the lost sheep of the house of Israel. He came to gather, not to scatter. He came to bring us back into fellowship and reunion with God. When God... God's word categorized the spiritual condition that sin created in each and every human being. It is found in this word, lost. That's what sin does. It causes us to lose our way. It causes us to be blind to what's going on around us, unaware of the consequences that come into our life because of the choices that we make. And we end up finding fault and blaming others. We deflect conversations. we reluctant to take responsibility. Why? Because we're lost. And lost people sometimes don't know that they're lost. Man, I'm not going to pick on you, but in a sense, I'm going to pick on you. We're horrible to asking for directions because we're never lost. We're never lost. Siri has got some problems or your Google Maps has lost its mind. But no, no, somehow we believe, though we've circled the same route 15 times, the 16th time we're going to find our way out of this predicament. And I don't know if you've ever been in that place. And I use the navigation or the maps example as a as a light illustration. But, you know, there's we have blind spots. And sometimes when our spouse is trying to help us, so I'm talking to both husbands and wives now, you know, we we really don't particularly like that they point out that potentially we don't have our ducks in a row in a particular situ, you know, situation. We say, you know, no, I've got it together. You just need to see it from my perspective. And they're trying to bring a more full and complete picture. So each and every one of us, You know, even those of us who are in Christ, you know, we don't carry the full picture and we need input and we need support and we need to grow and we need to mature. So we need one another. But when we come to the subject matter of evangelizing or reaching or sharing the gospel with the lost, that almost has a negative connotation into today's politically correct world. Like if you categorize someone as lost, what you're saying is supposedly They're a loser. And if that's the case, count me in on that category because I was a loser. Because all of us were lost. All of us had wandered. All of us had strayed away from the shepherd of our soul. But God was faithful in that condition not to look at us as losers, but to look at at us as those that need the light. 
those that just need direction, those that need to find a different path. Because people that are lost are on the wrong path. So when I use the word lost, I'm not using it to devalue any person in any place, in any condition in life. Because I myself have been lost numerous times in life. I have lost my way. All of us have, if we understand the message of Scripture and what God's Word communicates to us. So God's desire is that those that are lost or perishing spiritually can find peace with God through Jesus Christ. That those that are lost can be found. So as the Lord's ambassadors, we have been called and commissioned to go into all the world to minister the gospel of Christ and... To those that Satan has blinded. Let's take a look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4, if you would please. And let's begin in the third verse, and it reads this way. But even if our gospel is veiled or hidden or covered, it is veiled, hidden, or covered to those who are perishing or those who are lost, whose minds the God of this age or Satan has blinded who do not believe lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your bondservants for Jesus' sake. For it is the God, for it is, uh, the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, uh, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So Satan is the one that blinds humanity to the light and the glorious gospel. But we have been called to bring light to those who are groping in the darkness. I uh, I remember a time as a kid where um, there would be certain certain scenarios where darkness frightened me uh, as a child, and and uh, so a nightlight would bring comfort to me. Uh, especially in, in my bedroom, if I had one in the hallway or one out in the living room, it sort of gave me a path to walk and some steps to take where I wasn't as frightened. But I remember before we had the night lights in our apartment that, uh, as I stated, any any noise that was going on with our neighbors came over into into our residence, into our apartment. And I, I remember waking up sometimes and just it was just loud and people yelling and screaming and you could tell that there was probably activity on the other side of that wall that was abusive and 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 harmful to another human being and it you know it that fear would grip me and uh and I was I was like paralyzed by it and it had a tormenting aspect to it but the thing that brought comfort and began to you know, ease and sort of dissipate the fear was light. And I would be groping. That word groping is a, is a really descriptive word in Scripture. It means that I was longing and I was looking for some help in that dark moment. I, I didn't, I knew that it was, wasn't good. It, uh, it wasn't beneficial and I was longing for some kind of security, some place to feel safe. And what brought that security and that safety to me in a very simplistic way was a nightlight. And that's who you and I are to those that are groping in the darkness. They know they're not in a good place. 
Some are willing to admit it. Some struggle with admission, which, of course, is the first step towards uh, progress in anyone's life. It's taking responsibility for their own attitudes and actions. But, you know, uh, I, I just know that each and every one of us are light bearers. And you may, you may feel like you've been hiding your light. And I want to encourage you to let the light shine. As we sang this morning, let the light shine through you. Don't cover that light. What is that light that I'm referring to? The knowledge of Jesus. That's light. The knowledge of the truth. That's light. And you help people that are groping in darkness because they weren't created to grope in darkness. They were created to have a relationship and fellowship with God. But that's where they are. And it's created this this scenario in their life where they're paralyzed, they're tormented, they're fearful, they're apprehensive, they're guarded, they have trust issues, they don't let anyone get too close, they keep everyone at a certain distance. And so if you can identify with any of the above, right, we protect ourselves, we cover ourselves, we do all of the things that Scripture says that we do when we're in darkness, But when the light comes, when the knowledge of the truth comes, so comes freedom. And so comes victory. And so comes, you know, deliverance and health and wholeness. And each and every one of us have people that are strategically placed in our life that God wants us to bring light to them. He wants us to bring the knowledge of his love, the knowledge of his truth, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ into their world just like we were strategically placed in someone's life who brought us the light. That someone in my life began with my uncle when I was a young child. My uncle, as I've shared with you many times, was the fun uncle. He was the crazy uncle. He was the uncle that said, don't worry, I won't tell your mom that I let you ride the motorcycle without a helmet. I mean, he he did, you know, hey... I know you're not old enough to shoot a shotgun, but you're with me. It's going to be safe. Just the kind of uncle that you wanted to do stuff with because, you know, he did stuff. This is the same uncle that got kicked out of the University of Colorado, Regis University, the University of Oklahoma, Oklahoma State University. So, you know, he had he had some institutional uh, authority issues and and he got kicked out of all of those universities. But when he was on sort of the last leg of his groping and fighting uh, and looking and longing for God. God brought a young girl named Candy into his life from Illinois into this Oklahoma boy's life. And she took him to a Bible study and the light and the knowledge of Jesus Christ came into his world and he was born again. He was born again. And then from that, I was... You know, one of the ones that he shared that truth with. And then there were was a coach. I was strategically placed in this coach's life, and he brought the gospel to me. Just think about the people that were strategically placed in your life. And a conversation occurred, and Christ was the center of that conversation and led you to faith in Christ. You're that person for somebody right now. 
those people that shared with you may have said things like, I don't know if I'm really comfortable doing this. This is sort of uncomfortable for me. This is outside of my comfort zone. This is outside of my box. I've never done anything like this. I've never said anything like this. And if you've ever heard someone say those words to you, then I give you permission to say those same words to somebody else that you believe is strategically placed in your life so that their heart would be open and receptive. The reason I use that as an illustration is because no one likes to know it all. No one's an expert in everything. And isn't that one of the great cards that the devil plays is you don't know enough to share Jesus with someone? What if they ask you a question you can't answer? Welcome to life. I don't have the answer to a lot of questions. (laughs) I'm just a learner. I am not an expert. And admission is so liberating to say that you don't know is really important. You know, people that say they know everything that's going on, it's going to go on the next five years, they're not God. Because God doesn't share with me what is going to happen in the next five years of my life because I would try to make it happen in five months. He's a lot smarter than that. People that make those kind of statements are so spiritually proud. The ministers that get up and always say that God told them what's going to happen in the next two or five or seven years. I would say, wow, that's really, really dangerous territory. I'll talk to you in five to seven years and see how many of the things that you said were going to happen have actually happened. Scripture says that God leads and guides us one step at a time, that he gives us enough light to walk in, that when we take that step, he'll order the next step that we should take. I found it to be interesting that most believers, most believers are wanting to hear something new from God right now. But when was the last time you did the last thing he asked you to do? Because once you do that, he'll give you something else to do. You know, sometimes when he asks us to do something, we're like, I don't think I'm going to do that. As a matter of fact, I'm not going to do it. Well, then welcome to silence. And you might say, well, gosh, the Lord doesn't seem like he's talking to me or I'm not getting as much out of my devotions or I'm not getting much guidance anymore. My question at that moment is, have you been obedient to do the last thing he asked you to do? And when you do that, it's amazing how the conversation can pick up again and the dialogue happens. Are you with me? And we say, well, I, I can't go talk to that person about the Lord. I, I can't share my testimony with that person. What will they think? And in that moment, you've learned more about yourself than you have anything else. And the Lord is just going to continue to lead and guide us and help us to get over ourselves, to get past ourselves. And he's going to do it because he wants to use you to reach other people that are groping in the darkness. That have been blinded by Satan, the God of this world system, lest the light of the glorious gospel come. So as the Lord's ambassadors, you've been commissioned. Let me remind you that you are qualified and you are anointed. In First Peter chapter 2, verse 9 through 12, scripture reads this way. You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. If you stopped right there and just circled the phrase you are, and then you focused on what God says you are in light of what you think you are, 
I believe this is going to help your confidence and your courage to be able to go forward and to do something for the Lord. You're not this apart from the Lord. You're this because of the Lord. And you're able to share and to be an effective witness in word and deed and action because of the Lord. This is his placement. This is his choosing. He calls us a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own peculiar or special people. That why? What is the purpose for this? That you may proclaim or declare or make manifest the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Who once were not a people, but are now the people of God. Who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Beloved, I beg you, or he is imploring them with the strongest language possible. As sojourners, isn't that a... Interesting word. And another way that could be translated is as pilgrims or travelers in a foreign land. You're on foreign soil. And pilgrims abstain from fleshly lust, which were against your soul. Having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles or among those who are perishing or lost. That when they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works, which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. There is this glorious appointment or day of visitation that God has for every person that has ever lived or will ever lived or will ever be alive on this planet. And that day of visitation is when the Lord manifests himself Because someone has been planting seed and watering seed, but who brings the harvest? God does. I want to use a quick illustration, and I'm going to close with three very important points that I want us all to really focus on here in a minute. Um, Saul of Tarsus, who became the Apostle Paul, had a day of visitation on the road to Damascus. But I promise you, before that day of visitation, there were people that were planting seed and watering seed in his life because he was encountering Christians on a daily basis, not to seek out their faith, but to silence their faith. But what happened is through their good conduct, through them being taken and imprisoned from some of them losing their life, they were a seed, an eternal seed in the life of Saul of Tarsus. And then others who were abducted, taken away from their families because they wouldn't deny the faith. And they were taken because Saul had sought out the authorities to get authorization to abduct people, to put them in prison, to put them to death if they confessed the way of Christ was the only way. And he was a staunch defender of the law and a Pharisee of the Pharisees and a hard man. He describes himself as insolent, arrogant, and rude, the chief of sinners, lost, perishing. But everyone that he went to abduct and to cause pain into their life, he was unaware, but God was working through those witnesses, working through those testimonies, working through those people being faithful, so that one day when he was on another journey and traveling down the road of Damascus, Jesus manifested on a day of visitation and Saul was converted to Christ. He asked, 
who art thou? And he said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Think about that. What if those people weren't faithful to the Lord that he was abducting? What if they denied the faith? What if they, you know, caved into the pressure and didn't let their light shine and didn't let their love for the Lord manifest? Then we wouldn't have a convert named the Apostle Paul. God visits people when there's sufficient work that's been done by his witnesses. And then he shows up as a faithful witness in their life. And he says, yeah, I'm the one that people have been telling you about. How does he do that? He does it miraculously by his spirit. I can't tell you how he does it. It's, it's like trying to explain wind. You see the results of it, but you don't see it. I see the effects of it, but I can't tell you which direction it came from until I see what direction the evidence moved. And so it is when you and I are representing and walking in the light, hey, you may not see anything with the natural eye, but the wind of God's spirit is working in that person, working in that environment, working in your home, working in your work environment. All the while. Why? Because you didn't put your light under a tent. You let it shine. You are, you are the light of the world. You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. You are a special and called out people. So here are three things. Are you guys ready? Three things that hurt our witness. Number one, we try to fit in. We want to be like everybody else. We want to be the cool kids. We want, we want everyone to like us. We want, we don't want any resistance. We don't want any persecution. We don't want anybody, you know, to challenge us. We, we want it comfortable. God, can you make evangelism comfortable? That's like Jesus asking the Father, could you make the crucifixion a little more comfortable? Could you make it more convenient? No, in order, in order to be able to be an effective witness for the Lord, we have to forget about fitting in. You say, well, Paul said, I became all things to all men so that I could win some. That doesn't mean he tried to fit in. What it means is he tried to understand where those people were so he could bring them to the light and the knowledge of God. Great examples of that throughout Scripture. He didn't enter in to sin in order to save the sinner. He stayed in the light. You know, you can't defeat the devil and walk in darkness. So trying to fit in, trying to be like everybody else, trying to just always be accepted, being one of those kind of people really, really not only confuses you, it confuses those that you're trying to share a true message with. They're like, hold on, hold on. If this is so great, then why are you doing the same thing that I'm doing? This also, whether we realize it or not, it really does grieve the Holy Spirit. Without him working, you know, that's there's not going to be any change. Number two, you and I, all of us, I think, to a degree, especially those that are analytical, we try to figure everything out. This is when we have this preconceived idea. I'm going to say this, and then they're going to say that, and then the Lord's going to do this. You ever had one of those? 
And you may not have had it with evangelism, but you could have had it with any number of other conversations that, that, because you know that you need to have a conversation. It's predicated on you to have that conversation. And you're trying to figure out how you can have that conversation. And you say, well, all right. I think if I do this, they'll do that. And this will be the outcome. Has that ever really worked the way that you and I have figured it out, the way it's going to work? It never does. So let me save you a few brain cells. Stop that. Don't do it. Don't do it. It's, it's called futility. Because the carnal mind cannot figure out the work of the Spirit. It's impossible. Those that are carnally minded will never be able to be effective when it comes to spiritual work. You have to be spiritually minded. You have to have this childlike faith that, hey, it doesn't have to make sense to work. I don't have to figure it out in order for it to work. So the first thing we have to really watch out for is always trying to fit in. We're called to live separate lives. We're not called to segregate ourselves. We're not going to reach those that are lost unless we cross paths with them unless we have some kind of interaction with them, we understand that. But we're not to embrace the way of the world in order to reach the world. Secondly, is we have to really be careful that we don't overanalyze something, that we just don't do anything. And yet in our mind, we feel like we did something. I thought about it, Lord. I mean, but it just didn't make sense to me. So I thought about it again. You know, it still didn't make sense, so I just forgot it, and I'm not going to do it. You you may not be like that direct in your communication with the Lord, but what about our actions? Do they communicate that? When you give me something to do that I can figure out, I figure I'll be a part of it. But until then, no thank you. That hurts evangelism. That hurts evangelism. Hurts our light. Hurts us being a witness. Number three, and this is one that I've been as guilty of as anybody, so I'm almost an expert in this area. I I don't have my Ph.D. in this area yet, but I'm pretty close. I probably have my master's. We're going to fix them. (laughs) I'm going to come in. I'm going to fix this situation. I know enough about what's going on that I believe that I have the answer to all that ails that individual. And let me remind you, as well as I remind myself right now, all right, so let me remind myself first. Doug, you're not the Holy Spirit. Well, thank you for the reminder, Doug. I really needed to hear that. And let me remind you, you're not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one that fixes the mess. Not me. And now, hopefully, in one of these three areas that I've described, you have just felt a weight come off your back because that's what these three things do. Not only are they weights on our back, there's hurdles in our paths. We're going to fit in. That's a lot of work. It's a lot of work. We're going to figure it out. That's even more work. We're going to fix them. That's way too much work. (laughs) So what should we do? 
and how should we conduct ourselves? Let's take a look at what Jesus did. And then we're going to pick up here next week. This is just a great example. Remember I said that Jesus' purpose when he came was to seek and save those that are lost? Turn to Luke's uh, Gospel, chapter 19, and notice how Jesus didn't try to fit in. He didn't try to figure this out. He didn't try to fix anyone. He just really was aware of the, the opportunities around him, was observant, and the Spirit of God was working through him. All right. Luke's Gospel 19, verses 1 through 10, it says, Then Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. Now behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, who was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. And he sought to see Jesus, who Jesus was, uh, but he could not because of the crowd, for he was of short stature. So he ran ahead and climbed up the sycamore tree to see him, for he was going to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and he saw him. And he said to him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must stay at your house. So he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all complained, saying, He has gone to be a guest with a man who is a sinner, lost and perishing. Then Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, I give half of my goods to the poor, and if I have taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I restore fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house because he also is a son of Abraham. Just, But he lost his way. He lost his way on his career path. He became powerful. He became rich. He became influential. But he was still lost. But he had heard about Jesus. Someone had been communicating to him about Jesus. He had awareness of who Jesus was. And when Jesus visited him that day. He said, you know, there's a huge crowd here, but I'm having lunch with you today in your house, in your safe place. And then uh, the Holy Spirit took it from there. Jesus didn't tell him to do any of that. The Holy Spirit fixed Zacchaeus. The Holy Spirit fixed him. Well, I feel weights coming off shoulders right now. The Holy Spirit fixed Zacchaeus. Jesus just showed up and had lunch. And the Holy Spirit took it from there. Light entered into his house. And he started saying things. I imagine he slapped himself three times. Man, I'm, I'm going to have to go to the bank after this, after this lunch and get some things right. Jesus didn't try to fit in. Jesus didn't try to figure him out. Jesus didn't try to fix him. Jesus just welcomed him, loved him, acknowledged him, affirmed him, spent time with him, and the Holy Spirit took it from there. Thank you for listening to today's message. We hope that it encouraged or inspired you to God's best. If you have any questions about today's message, need prayer, or would like to learn more about Living Word Fellowship, please call 641-828-7119 or visit us at lwfknoxville.com.